This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley's meat sticks have been a lifesaver during this hot summer. Since they're shelf stable, I always have three Paleo Valley meat sticks in my bag at all times. It's also been perfect for my boys' lunch boxes. I love Paleo Valley's grass finished beef sticks and pasture raised turkey sticks because they support US family farmers that focus on regenerative agriculture. These meat sticks are from animals that have never been fed grains, soy, corn, or GMOs and have never been given antibiotics. The spices in these meat sticks are also 100% organic. The sticks come in five different flavors, and my favorite is the original beef stick, and my boys love the teriyaki beef sticks and the original pasture raised turkey stick. Paleo Valley's meat sticks are a perfect snack and, frankly, a great value without skimping on quality. Each stick is about $2 with our discount code, and it comes in a 10 pack bag. Make sure to support this podcast and head over to paleovalley.comslash CATG and use code CATG to get 15% off your first order. Thanks for listening and supporting the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Laura and I are just going to be talking really candid. This is what this podcast is all about. It's one thing to say, I want to eat something else that's not meat. It's a whole other thing to say, you need to eat something else that's not meat. If you notice that you're jumping from diet to diet, at a certain point, you have to wonder the only common denominator is me. Get outside, go for a walk, yeah. get some vitamin D, breathe yeah. some fresh air, and stay happy and healthy and, and take care of yourselves. Let's just have some real talk. <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Welcome back to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. My name is Laura Spath, and I'm joined by my friend and co host, Judy Cho. And on this episode, we want to talk about alcohol. Uh, do you drink alcohol? Do you drink wine? Do you drink, you know, low carb drinks? Those types of questions I get regularly.、Um, they've kind of like been yes and no's at different times throughout my journey. Um, and for various reasons, we, we kind of want to get into all of that. There's a lot of nuance when it comes to alcohol. There is some science behind it.、Um, I know, Judy, you want to bring up like a client's kind of this is、yeah. what sparked it. Like, Judy had the situation with a client that we want to talk about.、Um, and then, just because it's such a frequent topic and question,、um, we want to make sure we're talking about it. So, share with us、um, uh, your experience, Judy. Yeah, I would say that. When I first started carnivore, I heard that occasionally people would have hard liquor if it's low carb, if it's dry wine or dry farm. If you ate or if you drink zero carb types of alcohol, then it's okay and that'll be fine and occasionally it's fine. But as I did some of the research because of some of my clients,、um, I don't know if I stand as it's up to you with alcohol. I don't know if it's that ideal for you, is really the ultimate thing I'm seeing. So, to give you an example, I had a client、uh, before I met with her. I always I ask a lot of questions. They go through the symptom burden assessment. They go through a lot of things. And she happened to send me her blood work and her, which had her triglycerides, her liver enzymes. And, and then when I saw the notes before talking with her, I felt that for sure she's eating carbohydrates for sure because her triglycerides were above 100. 40 ish number, and then、um, and her liver enzymes were elevated, so it could have been related to the fructose or carbohydrates. So then I met with her, and she does not eat any carbs, she eats zero carbs. But what she does do is she has 
maybe a glass of wine a day. Maybe she has two. And then on the weekend, she'll maybe have some hard liquor or have the wine. And all of those markers, her triglycerides being in the 140s, her liver enzymes, the ALT, AST being out of range was actually fatty liver disease. It wasn't mm. um, related to non-alcoholic fatty liver. And and she wasn't even picking like the super sweet alcohols, but she went from a tr- her triglycerides being in the 60s to once she started drinking and going out a little bit more to being in the mid 150s. So that to me just made me realize well, you can eat such a clean diet, but if you're fueling your body with excess alcohol, it can do the same thing as fructose. And um, recently I had Dr. Robert Lustig on, and he talks about how alcohol is broken down the same way as sugar or fructose in our body. And so that was the overarching concern. I know that some people say, hey, wine is good for you because there's antioxidants, there's polyphenols, and there's these other things that are good for us. But we also consider polyphenols as an anti-nutrient because it causes some people to have reactions. When we go down the list of what alcohol can do to our body that's harmful, I just can't help but think as a society, we really want to accept that alcohol is okay for us, even though it may be a toxin, but we want to really have that, whether it's because of self-medication, it just relaxes us. At the end of the day, it's it's nice to have like one drink um, to relax, but I don't know if it's beneficial for our bodies. Yeah. And from a weight loss perspective, um, you know, it's definitely not something that's going to help. Like you said, your body has to process it like sugar. And so even zero carb drinks, you know, your liver has to stop burning fat and start processing out the alcohol and then go back to burning fat. And so having like a daily or a couple times a week, you know, even just a zero carb drink is still going to drastically stall your weight loss. Um, And so that's part of the reason why it's just not worth it for me personally is I've never wanted to like sacrifice that or it's just never been, I don't know. I feel like you're either a drinker or you're not a drinker and, or you're the extreme. Obviously people have issues with alcohol. My issue was never with alcohol. It's always been with like food and sweets. So I've never really seen the appeal also like just to make it weird and emotional, but my brother was killed by a drunk driver mm-hmm. And so I have always had this like aversion to drinking in excess in general, or this like, you know, emotional negativity surrounding like drinking a lot. And doesn't mean I haven't in my life at certain points, but I just have never been like, it's never seemed fun for me. Um, I think because of a lot of that, but from a health perspective, it would always cause inflammation. It would always just, I never felt good either. Like I just, again, I don't understand the appeal of it. Um, when I do know it's such a big thing for people, they feel like they need it to sleep and they feel like they need it to relax. Um, and I think, I, I think in that situation, if you feel like you need it to wind down, I think we have a se- more serious issue of your dependency on that, you know, alcohol or the you know addiction you have to that feeling. You know, people think that like to be an alcoholic, you have to like drink in excess all the time. But like, if you're somebody who feels like you need it at the end of the day in order to like finish your day, maybe that is a dependency on alcohol, even if it's just to this one glass that you're needing, just like it was for me with ice cream. Right. Yeah. I remember a long time ago when I, I thought alcoholism is exactly what you brought up is that it's somebody that has to drink a lot in a day and they're really out of control. But when you actually look at the definition of alcoholism, it's 
it's just that if there's a dependency period. So if it just means that you need to have one glass of alcohol a day because you're dependent on it to sleep or to wind down, as you said, um, then it absolutely can be considered alcoholism as as much as we don't think that is. But um, but I wanted to break down some of the science for everybody to understand, you know, maybe we are biased. Maybe this episode is going to be biased in terms of because I don't drink. I nursed my son for five years. And then prior to that, I was pregnant. And then I had my older son. And so there's always been this period of I didn't drink prior to that I did drink, but alcohol never liked me, I would have that flushing red face that a lot of Asians do, and I would get sick half the time. So alcohol has never really been my friend. Um, There was a period where my dad was alcoholic, and it caused a lot of drama in our family. And so I had that same not so ideal taste in my mouth because of alcoholism for that too. But, but given that, I mean, I try to be really fair with my research. Um, So I will just share some of the information. So as Robert Lustig, Dr. Robert Lustig brought up, alcohol and fructose breaks down the same. Most of the alcohol breaks down in your liver and then in your brain, just like fructose does. The difference with alcohol is that um, alcohol's first step of metabolism is the yeast, and that is the glycolysis, and that breaks down with alcohol on its own, whereas fructose the first step of metabolism happens in our body. And they're not really different. So if you think about the fermentation of fructose, it's wine. So they're very, very similar. So after that first level of metabolism, the first step, then the way that it gets broken down in our system, whether it's fructose, whether it's alcohol, it's exactly the same. And so then if you think of it that way, if we think of fructose as extra energy, and then that gets stored as fat, That's the same thing that happens with um, alcohol. So your mitochondria gets all this excess energy, whether it's alcohol again, or fructose or sugars, and it doesn't know what to do with that excess energy. And so it stores it in your liver as fat. That is why with your liver, and if you're consuming a lot of high fructose corn syrup or fructose, it becomes non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And then with alcohol, it becomes fatty liver. So alcohol is broken down in two main steps. Um, They're both broken down by enzymes. And so the first step is alcohol breaks down to acetaldehyde, and then it breaks down from acetaldehyde to acetate and acetate is basically vinegar. So if people can, the liver will break down that whole process from alcohol to acetaldehyde and to acetate, um, that will happen in the liver pretty quickly. And then it's not so toxic because acetate is essentially again, vinegar. And so it's not too bad, but some of the alcohol um, breaks down in your gut. And the part that breaks down in your gut will break down from alcohol to acetaldehyde, but it won't go, it won't break down further than that. And that's where a lot of the damage can be done. So one in your liver, it'll excess energy will become fatty liver, but then two in your gut, um, it'll produce acetaldehyde. And that form of the broken down alcohol is very toxic for your body. So if you're having any type of gut issues, obviously the alcohol is going to be causing a setback because it is affecting your gut. If weight loss is your goal, then alcohol has to be processed through the liver. Your body can't be burning that fat at the same time. So it's going to 100% stall your weight loss and potentially make you gain. Yes. Um, And it's going to cause a lot of those issues as well. So it's like... It's like, where's the benefit or what's the point? I, again, I, I think you're right. You and I are both kind of biased. Like I've never understood the point of like having a glass of alcohol with dinner. I'd rather eat extra food. Like to me, it's never been really worth the calories. It's like, if you're not going to get drunk, what's the point? Right. <laughs> but then also that's just this weird situation for me anyway. So um, yeah, it's interesting. I think that 
a lot of people have like an emotional attachment to it, you know, as, as well. 20% of the body, um, especially the microbes in your gut will break down the alcohol until that first level, which is the acetaldehyde. And that part's very toxic. So that causes the skin irritations, the allergic skin reactions. Um, when you have a hard time breathing, it could be that, that drowsiness, the dizziness, the next day where you're having a major hangover, it's usually because you have a lot of that acetaldehyde that never converted to that vinegar form or that acetate. And so the more you drink, the more that your body is not going to produce like glutathione to then break it down to that acetaldehyde to then acetate. And then the more you drink, the more that's going to be in your gut. And then the more that it's going to mess with your microbes in your gut, so your uh, microbiome, and then it's going to um, produce all that toxicity. And there are studies that show that acetaldehyde can become cancerous. I think it's colon cancer was the cancer that it has a higher aptitude of becoming. So how long does it take, you know, say that you're an occasional drinker and you have a couple of drinks in the evening, do you know how long it takes for your body to kind of process all of those things out? No, I don't. I think, um, I, I think those breathalyzers would be a good thing to use to see how quickly your body um, assimilates the alcohol. Uh, for example, Asians um, have a harder time because if they get that red flush, um, and I don't think it's just Asians, I think it's also um, other cultures, but they don't have some of the enzymes to break down the acetaldehyde to acetate. So the alcohol is even more toxic for them. You know, I would say it depends on your gut health. So if your gut health is really good, maybe less of the alcohol will get absorbed in the gut. And then it'll go more to your liver. If you're younger, I'm sure it'll absorb better and um, your liver will detox it quicker. But it'll depend on your overarching metabolic health, I would think, and your age. Yeah, if you already have a damaged liver, if you already are metabolically unhealthy, if you have diabetes already, if you already have non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome right. or fatty liver syndrome, like all of those things, you know, it's going to take even longer for your body to um, process it versus if you're a metabolically healthy person who has never had any, had any of those issues and you have a glass of wine, your body's probably going to process it very quickly. Yeah. And what, what I found that was really interesting was as I was looking at acetaldehyde, um, it's in a lot of foods that are fermented because, you know, it's part of that fermentation process. Mm. So vinegar has it, yogurt has it, um, fish products, soy products, pickled canned vegetables, fermented foods. And then na it naturally occurs in fruits such as melon, pineapples, oranges, white peaches, and nectarines. So if anyone... I was thinking that if anyone is consuming a lot of alcohol and their gut isn't doing well, because maybe they're keeping in a lot of that acetaldehyde, and then they're eating some of these foods that are also making their stomach feel worse because they're accumulating more of that toxin. What I've learned is that eventually that level of toxin will spill out from your gut and go into your bloodstream. But again, that's just not ideal too, because it's a toxin. It's worse than drinking alcohol itself. Yeah. And this, it really doesn't, you know, a small amount of those of alcohol, depending on your health can cause those same issues or, um, doing it frequently as well. Right. Right. You know, when I looked into, I, I know that a lot of people say that alcohol helps them to relax and then the sleep part. And what was really interesting about sleep with alcohol is so the alcohol can cross the blood brain barrier, meaning that it can get to your brain and um, it'll bind to some of your neural or your neurotransmitter receptors. And so it, that's where it affects your emotion sometimes. And what it'll do with sleep is it's true. It decreases the time to fall asleep. 
But what it does in the first half of your night is it'll suppress your REM sleep and have you more in your light sleeping. So you will pass out. That's true. That alcohol will do that. But you won't get that restful sleep because it doesn't allow you to stay in REM sleep. And then by the second half of the night, as the alcohol is decreasing in you, it's going to increase wakefulness and then it'll interfere with your REM sleep. That's where a lot of people that drink a lot and they pass out, they normally wake up pretty early in the morning because the alcohol is not allowing them to sleep well. So while it may help you fall asleep, it's not giving you restorative sleep whatsoever. And then also it's making, it's forcing you to wake up earlier than you ever would have, which makes you then tired and probably depend on the alcohol the next day. So it's this like vicious cycle. Yeah. I know people who do went carnivore and still were keeping in the alcohol to like sleep at night. And then when they cut it out, they definitely went through like this transitionary period where things got worse with their sleep for a while until they kind of like really, I mean, it was like within a matter of weeks or something, but then all of a sudden, once they had gone without it for a couple of weeks there, they realized how much better they were sleeping, um, without it. Yeah. And then, um, and then alluding to the part where you're talking about alcohol can stall weight. So it's totally true because alcohol will be used as the first energy source that the liver is going to try to break down. And so then it'll absolutely stall your weight. But if you notice for some people, um, alcohol actually creates imbalances with leptin, which is our hunger hormone or satiety hormone. So when you drink, if you start getting like the night munchies, or you notice you're not able to restrict your foods, like let's say you are pretty clean about eating just meat only, and then you drink alcohol, and you notice you have cravings for junk food, it's because it affects your hormones that um, that impact our appetite and food cravings. That's why a lot of people after they go to the clubs, or they drink at a bar, then they're hungry, and they want they have the munchies a little bit. And so they'll want to go get food. And it's because it affects your leptin. And then the other thing is it also affects another hormo- hormone called vasopressin, which basically regulates the water and the salt in your system. And it's probably why when a lot of people drink, um, I notice it with my husband for sure, but when he drinks, he needs to use a restroom 24-7. And it's because it uh, blocks that balance too of the salt and water in your body. Yeah. And so you're going to end up like making, you're also losing some uh, good decision making as well. So you're probably (laughs) making poor decisions when it comes to like food choices and stuff. Totally. I also have heard a lot of stories and I don't know if if you've done any research around this about um, you kind of get drunk faster when you're not eating carbs. So let's say that you are carnivore or low carb, the alcohol is going to affect you faster. And then I also hear a lot of people saying they get like worse hangovers where it's going to like you get drunk faster and then it's going to negatively impact you worse the next day as you're kind of detoxing out of that. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't look at that specifically, but I've absolutely heard that too. So people always say that they're a lightweight once they become carnivore. And if you think about acetaldehyde that I was just talking about that toxin, that some of it gets absorbed in your gut, it kind of makes sense with carnivore. So we don't have carbs and fats and proteins that we're eating together. So we just have the meat And it's not, uh, we're not eating these uh, large amounts where if you think about bread, it can absorb some of the alcohol and maybe just carry it out of our system. But with just meat, you may not have eaten closer to the time that you're going to drink. So then your stomach is a little bit empty. I mean, one of the tips of being able to consume alcohol is to eat it, uh, drink it with something and make sure it absorbs, consume it slowly so that a lot of it doesn't get digested and absorbed in the stomach, which then would produce more of that acetaldehyde. And so my guess is maybe a lot of carnivores are drinking on an empty ish stomach. 
And so then also their gut is pretty empty. So and maybe as they don't have as much inflammation of working on the carbs, it's going through the whole system quicker. And so maybe some of it gets in the gut rather than just going all to the liver. And then it's uh, creating more of that acetylaldehyde that it shouldn't be. But because it does, then you have the hangovers the next day. Yeah, there's the stereotype of like, you know, hangover food is like to go to brunch and like eat a bunch of pancakes or to eat a bunch of toast to like soak up all the alcohol, right? And so um, that sounds like there's theory behind that. But I know too many stories of people who are low carb or carnivore and are fasting and then end up just like having a couple of drinks while they're fasting and then just kind of end up like feeling pretty wrecked or sick. Um, very fast because they were fasting and then drinking, you know, low carb drinks. Um, and when you're low carb, uh, we have a tendency to drink less water and alcohol really dehydrates you and it doesn't support your liver and kidneys. So if your liver is not able to uh, break down the alcohol and do all of that, I mean, I would guess that more of it would end up stay- staying in your stomach. So that's another thing when we fast, when we are eating meat only, I notice a lot of people drink less water because we don't have that Um, that thirst from eating a lot of carbs with salt and fat. And so we're not as thirsty as often. So we don't drink as much water. So there's a lot of reasons. I absolutely do think it happens where um, alcohol affects carnivores a lot more. And I think it's because your system is running so cleanly that now, if there's any bits of that acetylaldehyde, I think you're going to feel it. Yeah, it's part of the reason why even in like casual corporate situations, like I don't even want to have like one drink to kind of like sip on Yeah, more so just because I'm not going to enjoy it. And I just don't want any of the, the setbacks. But, but I will say it's very awkward. I've spent two of, you know, two weeks recently, two different occasions um, in New York City at a bunch of like corporate events and like having dinners with like very fancy New York city dinners and like everybody's having cocktails and drinks and like with dinner and you know, your after dinner coffees, I don't drink coffee. I don't drink alcohol. Like it's, it is to keep denying, denying, denying. It can be a very awkward situation. And I understand the pressure to feel like you like need to have a drink just because everybody else is. I'm at a point now where I don't care and it doesn't bother me, but I understand where people are feeling that type of pressure um, or feeling like, they need to just to be social, but I just, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a really hard thing to like get to that point where you feel like it's not something that you're going to do no matter what. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, um, there was a project I was in New York city and every night we would go out drinking and I, I didn't really drink then too. I think part of it was because I just felt like I needed to be super professional. So if I'm ever going to get drunk, it's not going to be with my coworkers. But and so everyone would go drink. And I remember distinctly, this one person was like, you never drink and it makes us feel really embarrassed or some, you know, just it's like something it's something's wrong with me. And I, I remember them feeling shame. And so after that, early on, if it was cocktail hour, I would just ask for some sparkling water and get a little lime and then have like a skinny straw. And then I would just hold that. And no one ever thought there wasn't alcohol in that, but I would just babysit that sparkling water. And that was, or it maybe it was diet Sprite back in the day, but that's how I would do it. But I understand there is absolutely peer pressure when everyone is ordering alcohol or everyone's ordering a dessert, but it's the same thing. It's if you don't want to drink and you feel forced to, it's that you know, being able to, I guess, respect your needs before um, making social awkwardness become the priority of your needs. Yeah. But like you said, it's not about me. It's about them. Like they, they feel uh, not even, they feel like 
they're being judged, which I'm not judging them. You do whatever you want, but like they internalize that on themselves that they feel like, because you are not drinking, then you must be judging them on that. I guess it's just, I got, I definitely like don't bring up how I eat, but like, obviously based on like what I order and how it goes, like it ends up being like a pretty awkward, like I get a lot of looks, but nobody brings it up because you're in like this corporate setting and stuff, but it ends up being like very interesting. Um, because of that. But I, but I think it's them. It's like people then are, there's like French fries in the middle of the table and everybody's eating the French fries. Well, if you don't eat the French fries, then somehow like you're judging them for eating it. Like you can eat what you want. Right. It's, it's just that I'm not going to do that, but they feel insecure about their own choices at that point. People then, they also feel like they need to justify to you why they're doing it that way, I guess. But like, yet again, if I was an alcoholic, if I just came out and said like, Oh no, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I don't think I would get a lot of judgment on that, you know? Right, right. But if it's just that, then they understand why you wouldn't be drinking. But if it's just like, no, no, I'm good. No, thanks. Like, no, thanks. No, thanks. They need a definitive, like, why are you not drinking this other than like, no, thanks. You know, it's it's an interesting way to try to explain it. A long, long time ago, I listened to Brene Brown and it was all about how our society doesn't deal with our problems and we just medicate, medicate with being an alcoholic, medicate with food, medicate with shopping, medicate with even being busy. And so I always have used that as a gut check for myself of, am I doing those things to not deal with my life type of thing? And I really think that we accept alcohol to be okay, but there are a lot of things like it causes intoxication. It's known to be a carcinogen and um, the acetaldehyde is known to uh, contribute to higher risk of cancer in the digestive tract. Alcohol is known to affect our brain and our sleep. It irritates our gut and disrupts that microbiome. It imbalances leptin. There's all these things it does, but we so want it to be part of our lives that we have permission for it. And I just find it so bizarre because if we were to have real talk, there's no benefit of it. Maybe it'll give you the fuel you need if you have no food around. If you're on a deserted island and alcohol is the only thing you can consume, yes, it'll give you energy. But other than that, um, I get it. It's an escape. Um, I mean, I use food as the same way, but it's. Uh, yeah. I, I would just say if you're drinking a glass of wine with your food and you have no addiction to it and it's just it just pairs well, I get it. People have nice palates for alcohol, I guess. But if it's that you need it for sleep and you need it for a dependency of I had a hard day, I just need a drink that level I say is honestly not ideal. I think we should look at our drinking habits and see, is it really benefiting us? Because what I will tell you is a meat only carnivore diet gives you a lot of nutrition, sometimes excess nutrition. And we were fueling our body so well. So when we add alcohol to the mix, are we accidentally supporting our bodies to have fatty liver disease? Cause we're using we're eating a fuel that has proper nutrition. And then when we're adding alcohol that has excess nutrition, what does it do to our bodies? And I don't think we talk about it enough. Just try. There's a, there's a time that you have to try without it and not to sound like, you know, one day at a time addiction purposes, but it is true. Like what happens if like you need that glass of wine at the end of the night? Like what happens if you just don't have it for one day? Like you don't have to give it up forever. You don't have to make this grant. You don't have to go to rehab and actually say that you're now sober and like go through the 12 step program just don't have it for one day. And how do you feel? And then make it two days and see how you feel and just take those things and just see what, 
life feels like without it. And if you're having this like drastic emotional reaction and like hardship around not drinking for one night, like, okay, maybe then you do need to go (laughs) talk to somebody and like have a full reaction. Um, and like go start maybe reading some material around that. But you know, if it's like a, just a health thing and it's a casual thing, like make it through one night out with the girls or one time out, like with friends or one corporate event, not drinking and just see how it goes. My guess is it's not going to be as awkward as you think it's going to be. And it's not going to be as hard as you, you can still have fun being out with the girls and not having your margarita and not having your glass of wine um, and, and still enjoy that your time with them. And it's just one time just to see what it's like to not have it once. Well, I think for me, the part that's so perplexing is there's a camp of us that really feels that the added honey or the added fruit to a carnivore diet is absolutely wrecking the diet, right? We think that it is causing the uric acid to go up, the um, gout to possibly be prevalent to just cause healing to not occur. Well, alcohol breaks down the same way as fruit and fructose and not high fructose corn syrup and honey, which honey is mostly fructose. So why do we think alcohol is so okay? Mm. Is it the cultural aspect when it's the same? It's exactly, it literally breaks down biochemically the same way. And so that's the part I don't understand. So why are the people that are super against fruit and honey on a carnivore diet, maybe, and if they drink, I, it's the same thing. It's the, or just saying no sweeteners ever. I can't have a piece of sugar-free gum. I would never eat anything that's taste sweet. I can't have my toothpaste that tastes sweet, but yet I would drink alcohol. Like, again, where is that balance? Like, doesn't it make sense to me? Why that, why one, why one would be okay. And one would not. And I think again, like for me, I don't have an issue with alcohol. I have an issue with Diet Coke. And so I can't give, give that up either. You got to figure out what, what makes sense for you. So I I think it's just sometimes we look for reasons to justify what it is the one thing that we're holding on to and whether that's fruit or honey or alcohol or whatever it is, you know, see, see how it's really affecting you. You have to decide if it's like how it's really affecting you or not. And if it's something that you need to give up. Yeah. I, I really think it comes down to what will allow you to stay consistent. I would any day have my clients consume a little bit of diet soda or have a sugar-free gum and not drink alcohol. If I see the markers that I saw with my recent client and she's not the first one, there's been several people where at the end of the conversation, we'll say admittedly that since COVID they've been drinking more and their health is declining. And it's a very touchy topic to bring up, but alcohol sales have skyrocketed since COVID. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people think of alcohol as part of their diet. They're just like, Oh, with my diet, I eat only meat or I add meat and or carnivore doesn't work, but then they're drinking the alcohol. And that's the hard truth of you have to look at what it's doing to your blood work. And so I would, the easy markers to check is your liver health. So check your ALT, AST, check your GFR, that's your kidney function, and then check your triglycerides as well. And then, and then also go by your mood. You'll know if you, if alcohol is becoming an issue for you and this can go with anything, right? It can go with consuming too many carbs or too much, too much fruit or too much honey, they all, again, break down in the same way in the body. And so you, we just have to be honest with ourselves of if we're trying to eat a very clean diet, then we have to also co- consider the things we're consuming in terms of drinks as well. 
Yeah, and we mentioned like uh, low carb um, hard alcohols and wines, but I, I mean, be something like a beer would be even worse because then right. not only are you dealing with all the negative things that Judy mentioned about alcohol, but then you're adding carbs to it and like wheat yes. and you're adding bloating and you're adding the gas and you're adding like all the other issues uh, on top of it in addition to the alcohol issues. And then usually people who are drinking beers, again, aren't like having one or two, they're having a bunch. And so you're almost getting all of those things compounded on top of um, just the, you know, weediness of beer or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So beer it's, there's a lot of gluten in it normally. And then there's a lot of estrogen in the, I think it's the hops that it is. So that's why you'll see a lot of beer bellies um, in males that have the male breasts because they're having a lot of estrogen from the beers that they're drinking. Of all the alcohol, the uric acid, I believe, is highest in wheat. So um, that's the other thing. So yeah, I think beer is just not ideal in general, especially if you're eating a high fat version of carnivore. You don't want to be mixing so many different energies because then you're essentially eating the fruit and honey in large doses. Right. Yeah. I want to leave with a few tips of how to drink alcohol because I don't want this to be such a Debbie Downer conversation. So if you are going to drink alcohol, there are ways to just support yourself and the body to consume it without it having such a negative impact. So one of them is to obviously slow the alcohol absorption, right? I think everyone knows that Um, maybe you consume it with food. So maybe you have your fatty steak first, and then you sip on the wine slowly towards the end of the meal. And you only have maybe one instead of having multiple so that the alcohol drip is very slow. Think of it like an IV drip versus like a a full on turned on hose. You don't want to have that, the liver have to focus on breaking down the alcohol first before anything else that comes in your body. You know, make sure to support your liver and kidneys with plenty of water. So never eat this way while you're fasting, never eat this way, never have the alcohol as the first thing. I know a lot of people will start making their meals and sip on alcohol before they even start eating. You don't want to do that. You don't want the first energy source in your body to be alcohol. Just like I don't like my kids to eat carbs first in a meal, we have the fat and protein first. Mm -hmm. So you want the carbs at the end and the same thing with alcohol, you want that to be later. But make sure to drink enough water so that you are supporting your liver and kidneys as it's trying to remove the, the alcohol from your body so that it'll remove it. I guess the other big things is just um, make sure to get rest, pace yourself, and then, you know, try to go to bed sober so that you can actually get better quality sleep. Again, I know some people will try to use alcohol to sleep and it will knock you out, but the actual REM sleep is disturbed and you will wake up earlier than you normally would with the alcohol in your system. And in order to get true restorative sleep, you want to go to bed without alcohol in your system. I think depending too, just think about your health and where you are. If you have tremendous amount of healing to do, if you have a lot of weight to lose, if you have a lot of metabolic damage to reverse, like you just got to make the decision to like cut this out for the sake of your health. Just got to, at the end of the day, you just need to spend some time without it. If you get to a point where you're metabolically healthy, you're at a stable weight, you're having great moods and you're having great sleep and all of these things are going well for you and you're at a healthy place then it might be something that you could incorporate occasionally like people do with fruit. You know, the connection to that is pretty strong. Um, and, and you just have to be honest with like where you are in your health and what your body can tolerate, because it's not going to be the same for everybody. And it's not going to be the same for men and women and like fit people and type two diabetics. Like there's so many variables. Right. Um, I think it's important to the sicker you are, the more you actually have to just like go all in, in order to reverse all of that, which is why I think at this point, like Judy and I are finding a way of 
figuring out what works for us long-term because we both spent such a long period of time in this like super strict baseline carnivore world to heal and to find what works for us. And now very different. Judy and I approach things very differently now at this point, but we both have been able to like breathe and, and live what we feel like is our new normal and like having this realistic way of eating long-term. I I like to recommend for my clients to pretty much eat like if you were pregnant, right? So there are rules that are around pregnancy so that we don't affect the baby. And one kind of hard rule they have is don't really drink alcohol. I know some people will drink a glass of wine, but generally the rule is not to drink much alcohol. So if the alcohol is not ideal for a growing baby, I don't know why it's necessarily good for you. And just in the Mm -hmm. same vein, I mean, we test for gestational diabetes when you're pregnant because too much sugar in the body affects the child and that will affect them and have poor outcomes. So in the same vein of watching your glucose intake when you're pregnant, we should also consider that when you're not pregnant or you're not carrying either. So just because you're not pregnant or you're not carrying another life form in your body does not mean that therefore on other times it's okay for your body. It's just something to consider when Mm. you are consuming, whether it's sugar or you're consuming alcohol because poison is in the dose, but it doesn't mean that any amount is necessarily good for you. Yeah. I love that though. I haven't heard of that. I think sometimes we're so good at taking care of other people and we're not as good at taking care of ourselves. And when women are pregnant, they instantly get very protective over like feeding and fueling their body in a proper way. But imagine that you are, and when we're feeding other people, sometimes we're very concerned with what our kids are eating and what our spouse is eating. But like, we're the last, we care about ourselves last and we take care of ourselves last. I love that idea of like, imagine you're feeding your body to take care of somebody else, I guess. And the care and the consideration that you would give, would you just say like, screw it and eat what you want as often if this was for somebody else, right? You're taking care of a sick loved one who's diabetic. Would you be feeding them the things that you're feeding yourself? Like, imagine there's a person in you. I love that. (laughs) Okay, guys, I hope that this conversation was helpful. I mean, we are, you know, really trying to just offer real talk I think what was alarming for me was I was so certain that lady was consuming carbohydrates and I was ready to go, are you eating fruit or honey? And then it was a shock to me that it was just alcohol. There was zero carbs in her diet and it affected her markers considerably. And so the last time I talked to her, she said she was going to cut the alcohol and be very, very limited with it. And so I thought it would be a good idea to bring it up on this podcast. And like everything we discuss on here, there's just not one set of rules for everybody. You have to find what works for you and um, you have to find what's going to work within your health and what's a realistic way for you to live. And um, yeah, we're all just trying to live happy, healthy, long-term lives. And there's not one set of rules around how to do that. Yes. Thanks for tuning in to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share and leave us a review and leave any comments and questions on Apple Podcasts. We will read and answer your questions and comments on an upcoming podcast episode. This also helps us to share our real talk with more community members. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nutrition with Judy, on all podcast channels. You can also follow my content on Nutrition with Judy's Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find Carnivore Cure in paperback, ebook, and audio on Amazon. I also have a blog post and weekly newsletter with nutrition and wellness updates. You can sign up at nutritionwithjudy.com. 
You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura East Bath. You can follow along on her daily stories and see some of her funny skits. You can also find Laura on her YouTube channel where she shares tips on living a meat-based lifestyle. If you're wondering how much meat to eat in a day, week, or month, Laura has you covered. She also shares how to make a perfect sear on a steak and how extended fasting looks like in real life. You can find her YouTube channel by searching Laura's Bath. Thanks again for listening to the Cutting Against the Grain podcast. And remember, make sure to cut against the grain. <laughs>